0: Welcome to Just For Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. This episode is brought to you by The Complete Footballer. The Complete Footballer was created to help young players excel in all aspects of the game. With Division I college experience, strength and conditioning certifications, nutrition certifications, coaching experience, and more... Their coaches are able to provide the best for their players. Training sessions consist of injury prevention and strength exercises, speed and agility, first touch, awareness, ball control, and more. Everything you need to take your game to the next level. They can also provide nutrition tips and recovery recommendations. If you mention Just for Keeps, you can get 15% off your training package when you sign up. You can find more about them at thecompletefootballer1.com. That's the complete footballer and the number one, and welcome to another episode of just for keeps the podcast all about goalkeepers i'm your host carter hockman and joining me this week is, is is former stony brook syracuse and umass Lowell goalkeeper christian Miesh. thanks for joining me man
1: you're welcome thanks for reaching out how's it going
0: it's going pretty good has everything going over there in switzerland
1: i mean uh it's, it's it's pretty. It's cold. Uh, we hit the slopes a lot on the snowboard. You know, we're we're enjoying um, a good long vacation after my college career.
0: <laughs> oh, believe me, believe me. I understand exactly how you're feeling. So let's let's jump right into it. Uh, the first question I always ask on the podcast is, "What made you want to become a goalkeeper? What drew you into playing the position?"
1: I mean, you're just you're just kind of born for it. Like looking back at it, like. Of course, there's a story to it. So when I was really young, it was raining heavy, and there was a big puddle in front of the goal, a lot of water, and they asked who wants to go on goal, and I really wanted just to dive into that puddle um, so uh, to get wet, you know, and to have some fun and slide around. So that's what first got me into it. But I mean, a lot of people probably try it out once, but only very few stick with it, and that's why I'm saying like you got to be kind of meant for it, you know what I'm
0: saying? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um like yeah, like I said, for me it was it was it was just one moment where like I dove on the ball. I think I must have been six or seven years old, and a bunch of kids like tried to kick the ball out from under me and were falling over on top of me. And I I my first thought in my head was this is this feels really cool. (laughs) I mean, what were some of your biggest soccer influences growing up in Switzerland? I mean, were there any goalkeepers that you looked up to specifically?
1: Uh there there were a couple, I think. Um The OG one, definitely, because I'm from the south in Switzerland, bordering to Italy, so Gianluigi Buffon was always kind of close to my heart. And it's just this, you know, it's just a legend. Like, there's no doubt about it. And then then from that point on, um, I think a goalkeeper that kind of changed the way of the game, the first that changed it in my eyes was uh, Manuel Neuer. Um, the way he played, he was just—he was just next level. The way he trained, the way he played with the ball on his feet, he was just bringing it to a whole different level. We all remember his like five or six years of of, of glory, where it's just no one was even close to him. Um, and and then other than that, I mean, I kind of like Joey Hart a lot. I, I, I copied a lot of his style, especially in one way ones. But then, especially for, um, for the if you want to work on your game if you want to develop your technique and skills and if you want to go with the flow with you know with how the game is evolving i would just encourage to watch as much as you can on youtube or wherever of any pro keeper and then just pick and choose whatever you think uh, on their style you could implement and that can you know just uh, bring your game to the next level so i would say those are probably the three biggest influences but then after that i just started looking up as many as I could and just see their technique how they're handling shots from far from close what well, their positioning you know recently you have Donnarumma who takes the positioning level on crosses to the next level you know you, you can just take a l- bits and pieces of uh from like every every pro goalie nowadays I believe
0: you absolutely can and that's that's a key point that we'll get into later but I mean it's it's important to mention that not every goalkeeper has a style that's exactly the same and everyone has something that works for that works better for them that might not work better for other goalkeepers.
1: Absolutely right. So that's why I'm saying. You, you look at those keepers and doesn't mean you have to copy what they're doing because sometimes they have a completely different frame than you, right? If you're a shorter type of goalkeeper, it doesn't really do much for you. If you watch Ben Foster videos, who's just like a, uh, you know, like a huge, this huge English gold star <laughs> goalkeeper. But there's guys. If you're shorter, there's guys like Jan Sommer, for example, who played a phenomenal uh, Euros again. So there's a there's a lot of keepers that you can kind of like look at what that is. That my is that my frame, and then what are they doing, and then try to copy it.
0: Going going back to to life as a kid, what what is the youth soccer scene like in Switzerland? I mean, how much is the focus on you know soccer or football versus other sports?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean Switzerland. It's it's really three sports. I would say it's soccer or football, um, ice hockey, and downhill skiing. And uh, but soccer, soccer, and hockey is probably number one. They balance uh, both like equally number uh, number one because they balance each out really well. In the winter, it's more uh, hockey, obviously, and in the summer, it's more uh, soccer. And then in the winter, you have uh, downhill skiing as well. But it's you know, it's 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 a big deal as it is everywhere in Europe. And um, to the other part of your question, how it how it was growing up, um, I played from I I don't know when I was like twelve. I started playing on the highest youth development league in Switzerland, and um, I often compare this to when I come to, when I went to the United States. Before that, it was it was a different world, man. It's like the competition is is a lot tougher. Um, it's just like you gotta imagine you have like a city, and ninety-nine percent of the kids want to become a soccer pro. You know, in the U.S., it's like yeah, maybe ten percent. The others are gonna play American football or basketball or baseball or, or whatnot, right? So you're 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 actually like competing against literally every kid that you know is around in your in your area. So uh, it's it's tough, you know. It's uh, every year if you if you start in the under 12s there's maybe like 50 kids. And then every year from under 12 to under 14, under 16, under 18 to the second teams, there's like 10, 15 kids that are, that are getting cut every year. And, uh, it's, you know, it's tough. So, and also from the day you're 12 on, you're training every day. Uh, sometimes I have to travel two hours every day just to go train. Um, the main, I, I remember coming when I was 21 to the United States and, my first thought I was at Stony Brook at the time was like, wow, there's really no pressure. here. <laughs> like I, I feel really relaxed with everything I'm doing. Cause back home, it seems like every season, everything was on the line, like constantly. Right. And as soon as you came to the States, you had this four years, these four years of college ahead where you knew, okay, I'm going to be here for four years. And you didn't really have any of that safety back home. Uh, so yeah, it's different, but you know, you surely know, you've spoken to a lot of keepers in the, and, in the us and in europe so
0: absolutely and it's one of those things where you don't think about just how pressure-filled it is over in europe um and like i said like we'll we'll get into that uh further down the road here but i mean were you able to play uh to play ice hockey or or focus on i think you mentioned you were snowboarding earlier but were you able to get into the downhill skiing scene at all or was it just soccer for you
1: no it was it was just soccer i mean I played a bunch of sports when I was younger uh, until it got like a little too competitive and too time consuming for soccer. But I think, guys, uh, when you're young, you should just try as much as you like as many sports as you can because it's going to help you eventually. Because every different sport is going to teach you some new movements that are eventually going to help you with everything else in your primary sport. Um, But hockey was just. I wasn't playing hockey, I was, I was playing tennis, uh, I was golfing a bit, but, um, but other than that, hockey is just, it's, it's one of those two, when I was young, I had to choose between hockey and soccer, kind of like what every kid does here, and mm-hmm. for me, it was just clear, it can just be one.
0: I mean, for me, I didn't realize until very late, but what was the moment, or, or when was the moment that you realized that goalkeeping would be able to take you places, and, and how did that change the way you approach training?
1: Oh wow, that was um, I guess when I was when I was twelve, when I first moved to a club called FC Sion, which uh, plays in the first league in Switzerland, and um, it was kind of like a I was playing in a regional team, in like a, a small regional selection team here, and a, a bunch of players got invited to like a training camp, uh, you know. But you were really young, you weren't really thinking about it, just going to have some fun in a training camp, right? And at the end of the training camp. Does uh, some people of uh, that team, FCCO, came up to me and were like, hey, we would like to invite you to the under-12 team. Uh, and I obviously say yes, because that's like the big dream of all the kids growing up in my region. They want to play for that specific team, because that's like the team that represents the whole south of Switzerland, right? And um, from that point on, what that also meant was you really had to... Train once a day, even though you're only 12. Like once a day, you travel, and it took me like an hour to get to practice and an hour to get back because I had to take a train. So from, but like at that point, it was like such a big deal to play there because you're like that one out of a thousand kids that want to go there. Uh, so we didn't really, we didn't really mind. We just felt super cool, and and you obviously knew that that was a sign that you know you're 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 good at what you're doing, and uh, that's really when the whole uh, road kind of started.
0: I, mean, I I think I mentioned this in almost every podcast episode, but but I didn't get my first taste of goalkeeper-specific training until I was about 14 or 15 years old. Oh, wow. um, when did you first work with a goalkeeper coach? Uh, I mean, ever since I started, I think
1: as soon as you I don't know when I started playing playing soccer like at six maybe so and then the first goalkeeper sessions you have maybe like at eight or ten and then ever since you just even at the at the youth levels here the game is at a point where even in regional clubs every team has like a goalkeeper coach that you know at the lowest leagues is going to be there at least two to three times a week and then obviously since once I hit 12 years old and I went to this uh, bigger club, you had a goalkeeper coach that was there for you every day and uh that that helped that took it to the next level and especially because i've had amazing goalkeeping coaches uh throughout my whole career people that have played champions league and 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 you know they really knew what they're talking about and uh yeah they kind of they kind of taught me everything i needed
0: to know and without them i wouldn't be uh, where i am today and because I don't know, is there high school? I mean, you have you guys don't you guys call it secondary school? But is there is there secondary school soccer in Switzerland? or Is it you just play for your club all the way through secondary school?
1: No, there's no there's no sports in any high school or secondary school or college anywhere here. It's it's really just go to school and then uh, you uh, play club.
0: So when did you realize that you wanted to come to the U.S. and and play soccer here?
1: Oh, wow, that's a so fast forward, um, I was 21, I think. I just came off two years playing in the fourth division in Germany and then one year playing second division in Switzerland. And I remember having a, I was playing in second division here and I signed a one-year contract with them. And I was uh, not playing at the beginning because we had this, the first goalie was this 36-year-old, a really known goalkeeper actually that's played in second division in Germany for a while. And who came just to kind of like spend his last years in Switzerland and his home. And he, you know, he was a big deal. So I was like, all right, I'm either, I mean, they're going to stay patient and stay another year and, and, you know, wait till he retires or gets injured or not, or, and then a, a teammate of mine came into play and he knew a guy that played college in the U S and he just straight up asked me, look, like, I think that'd be cool for you. And, uh, we sat down, we had dinner over it, and three weeks later, I, I started the process, and about two months later, I was in Stony Brook. Wow, I mean,
0: talk to me, because like, cause I did jump ahead there for a sec, I mean, talk to me about your your you know playing days from when you were, you know, 14, 15, all the way through your you know, 18 years old, because that's a really pivotal uh, time period in your playing days, especially as a goalkeeper.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I mean, the level was high constantly, um, the pressure was high constantly, like every year, like I told you, at the end of the year, people will get cut, so um, at that point, you know, you, you you were in love with the game all the way through, but it's not the same as if you're playing, um, you know, like in a regional club or in one of those high youth development clubs in, the, in Europe, because it's really more about, like, delivering and, and like, pressure situations until from when you're really young on, like it's, I wouldn't say it's not much fun anymore, but it's definitely like way more, more serious than it is fun at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what, that's why I said, remember uh, when I came to the States, there was like no pressure. Yes. I, didn't, I didn't feel that, uh, like that, that push from everywhere, like that pressure from everywhere. Right. And uh, the, the only person that, you know, pressured you in, in the U S was myself. Um, but yeah, like I said, in the, when I was like, 12 to like 16 i climbed up the ranks in the club and i never got caught i was always playing at a great time i was also becoming uh, quite the quite the name in the region where i was from because i was the first guy in that region that kind of made it that far and then i went to the second team which was under 21 it's this when you have under 21 teams in germany it's under 23 And then uh, once you get under-21, you you don't play in the youth league anymore. You play in an adult league. And for us, that meant the third division in Switzerland. So the second team of Sion was competing in the third division. The first team, obviously, in the first. And um, that, I remember at that time, I was 18. I just got moved from the under-18 to the under-21 squad. And uh, the third goalkeeper of the first team got injured. And, and that was, I still remember vividly uh, a time where I was 18. I was training with the first team. I was, everyone kind of knew me around. And I was playing in third division as the youngest goalie in that division at 18. And at that point, um, I, I for sure thought like there was no doubt in my mind that I'm going to make it prone in, 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 uh, in, you know, here in Switzerland or abroad. Uh, like, I thought I was going to be a big deal. Right? What happened next was at 18, I have to be honest, I had, like, 15 games in the first half of the season in the third division, and about eight of those were, abs- were catastrophic. Now, the thing was, I was 18, I was playing in the Youth Development League before, and then I moved up to this uh, men- men's league, right? And I was 18, and I was about 20 pounds lighter than I'm now. I was this skinny guy that simply just wasn't ready. I was technically sound, but I just wasn't—I wasn't ready, you know, to go up on crosses and 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 stuff against those against grown men that you know a lot of former pros that now play in the third league that still pays really well at times. So, and and that's another lesson I learned that year. It's like once you're up and coming, especially as a goalkeeper, but not—I think field player is not much different if you get only one shot at it, most of the time, like you can consider yourself really lucky to have multiple shots. And you know, it's Tom Brady would say the exact same thing. He, you know, he got drafted like what in the sixth round or something, but he said, once you get a shot at it, you better not mess up. Right. Mm -hmm. So It doesn't really matter where you come from. Like the only thing you can work for is opportunities. And once you get an opportunity, you better deliver. Right. And at that point I didn't deliver. Uh, So that was that. And after the next half of the season, I got injured. I was 18. I got injured. It didn't help my portfolio at all. So I wasn't playing the second half of the season. At the end of that year, I actually got a call from uh, Manchester City because they've seen me win the Youth Cup uh, half a year ago with the under 18 uh, or a year ago. When I was just turned just turned eighteen, we won the Swiss Youth Cup, uh, and I got a call up from them. They said, "Hey, look, we need you here over the winter if you want to come train with us for a while." That came out of nowhere; completely blew me away. So I was like, "You know what? That's fucking fantastic!" So I went up there, trained with them for two months, basically the whole winter break here. You know, when in Switzerland we had a winter break, and in England you just play through the winter. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I, I went there and then we ended up, like, they offered me a, a, um, a loan uh, at QPR, Queens Park Rangers, for a year. And uh, that would have meant, though, no more school. Like, I was just about to finish high school. And um, I still had a two-year contract at Sion where I was from. So, I was like, you know what? I'm set at Sion. I didn't have my first... I didn't have that much, that great of a year, but I still go back. I, I feel better there. You know, I don't want to take the risk and, you know, go to QPR and leave everything behind. Like I said, cause it, and CEO, it still felt right. And then I came back and uh, the people there didn't really like that I went to, uh, to England. Just put it that way. Yeah. I had, a, I had a goalie coach that was a bit offended by that, uh, you know, saying that, you know, I wouldn't take this seriously and all that stuff. Um, I would just use this club to go further, blah, 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 right? So I ended up not playing in the first couple games of the second season and to, to everyone's surprise, and I talked to the manager after that and he said, like, look, like, we know you want to leave this, uh, this club. We know you've been in England all that stuff. Like, feel free to go, right? And that's where I said, all oh, right, that came out of nowhere, but that then moved me to go to Germany and I signed there. Uh, In the south of Germany, I played there for for two years. Again, completely different experience, but best time of my life. Uh, What a great time there. And after two years, I wanted to kind of look for the next step. I was 21 at the time and then I signed in second
0: division in Switzerland. And um, yeah, that's where we left off. And so, I mean, moving back, I mean, that's an, I mean, hey, that's an incredible journey. I mean, what, how was that roller coaster of emotions for you? Like, how did you handle that, and and be able to focus on your on your training and your games and just progressing, you know, as a goalkeeper? I mean, you gotta have the right people around you. Honestly, uh,
1: I I did have the right people around me. Uh, unfortunately, one of my big time mentors that um, accompanied me in Germany for over a year passed away while I was in Germany but you you have to have some people that either have been through it or people that genuinely want the best for you people that you know can guide you in those situations because we all know they say goalies need to be tough mentally and you know that's true but um, without guidance like where where are we supposed to know uh, how it works from you know um so so you gotta have the right people and it's the the manager game or the the you know people that try to manage you in soccer it's it's hard to find good people let's just put it that way
0: absolutely i mean so how did you ultimately land at at stony brook and why did you choose them to start your college career here in the u.s
1: yeah um, good question i mean um i decided to go to to move to the united states and that was kind of a a quick shot, so I remember um, we finished the whole process with getting eligible and stuff, which was which was huge to get me eligible for Division One because of where I've played before. So no one really expected me to be eligible to, to play D1. And I remember by the time I got eligible, to everyone's surprise, it was, it was like two seasons before every – two weeks, sorry, before everyone's preseason started. Mm-hmm. And uh, we reached out. We reached back out to all those teams that kind of were interested in me at first. That then told me like, yeah, now it's too late. You know, we already have. We already have someone. It's two weeks before preseason. Like we don't have no more money and stuff, right? Everyone except Stony Brook. And uh, so I said, you know what? I didn't want to go to Stony Brook because I made it pretty clear in the beginning that I only wanted to go to one of the best teams uh, in the U.S. Um, that was kind of like the deal I made with my uh, with my manager back in the time, but we said okay, go to Stony Brook, have a good year there, and then and then go from there, kind of. And then you know that's that's pretty much what happened. In Stony Brook, uh, we had a great first year, and then uh, went to Syracuse, had two and a half more uh, years there. They were kind of difficult with COVID, especially the last season. And then I went to your school. I went to Lowell, man. What a great time!
0: <laughs> oh, believe me, we'll get to that um i mean what was the biggest differences that you first noticed and how you were coached from when you were you know in high school playing club soccer versus when you got to college because it is a massive difference
1: yeah i think um from what i've experienced uh coaching is a huge problem in college soccer i agree i'm gonna tell you how it is um, oh i agree
0: i'm with you it's it's a
1: it's a it's a good it's a great opportunity for coaches to to develop they have a lot of freedom there to have they have an amount of safety that they would and and comfort that they would never experience anywhere in Europe. Um, Because uh, some, you know, most of the times it it heavily depends on uh, the athletic director strategy and stuff. But if you have, if you at a big time school where soccer doesn't really bring in any money uh, and, and the AD is never really cared about or never really played or cared about the sport, then, you know, as long as they don't, uh, play bad every single season, the AD couldn't really care less about who's coaching their team. I'm, this is, a, you know, it's a big statement, but it's a business too. So you have to understand that. So I'm just saying there's a lot of coaches here that haven't really been uh, successful, but nevertheless have coached for eight four, or four, eight or 15 years, right? And that would never really happen here in Europe. It's like you have you have four or five games that you lose in a row and uh, you better win the sixth one or you're gone as a coach right and you just don't you just don't really have that um in the US and then the other thing is the quality of coaching i mean they go through a US coaching system which i can not really judge on but i see the result of what you know is actually being uh, coached with and it's just it's it's disappointing at points um simply because i've seen different and i think a lot of european college players can just agree with me on this one I'm sure there's excep exceptions to the rule I'm sure there's some great coaches around even in the US um, but but the general rule of thumb you know after four years and making a lot of friends in the in the youth uh, system in the college system it's just it's it, it seems to be not just it seems to be the rule rather than the exception to have some uh, coaching lack of coaching quality in college
0: yeah I I, I... I have to agree. And I mean, it's, it's, it is no shade to to UMass Lowell. It is no shade to the, to, you know, the, the coaches that I've played for and and with and my entire career, but this, you know, you, you, you were there. I mean, there's no, the way that the coaching system is set up in college in the U.S. I mean, there's, you have your head coach and you have two paid assistant coaches and nine times out of 10, the head coach is going to hire assistants that he wants to work on tactics with. And, you know, 90% 90% of the time, those tactics don't or rarely involve the goalkeeper, so they're not going to hire a goalkeeper coach full-time. So you only have volunteer goalkeeper coaches or you just don't have one at all.
1: Yeah, the goalkeeping coaching is, is another thing. I mean, uh, I, I was lucky enough to, uh, at Stony Brook, at Syracuse, and at Lowell, have someone that's really almost there every day. Um, but that was because of their effort, right? Because you say they're, they're there for free. Um, I'm not sure if it was the same at Syracuse, but at Lowell and Stony Brook, definitely. So, and that's just huge props to them, right? But that was that was one of my biggest uh, points when I talked to like any university throughout my college career. It's like, hey, look, do you have a goalkeeper coach? Who is he? Let me talk to him because we you and I know you're going to spend
0: most of the time with
1: that guy, so you better be comfortable with how they're how he wants to
0: um, work with you. I mean, it's it's and it's so it's so important to have that coach that you can that you can at least get along with because you might not agree or understand the methods that they're that they're choosing to coach you with. But if you can if you can figure out a way to to work with them and understand why they're coaching you how they're coaching you, that's incredibly important. Um, moving to your freshman season at Stony Brook, uh, you had you had an incredible freshman season to begin with, and I'll never forget. The game that we played you, it was an it was an absolute mess on our end. We had someone get red carded. I think we lost like five to one or five nil. I, I don't I don't know if we scored, um, but I distinctly remember how well you played in that game. I think I was a junior in college at that point, and you were a freshman. Um, but I remember I walked up to you after the game because I had to tell you how crazy it was. I don't know if you remember that at all. I I think
1: I think I do actually. That's funny because it was a crazy game. We won like. I even, like, dribbled one of your guys that tried to run at me. I remember It was
0: bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good times. Good times. Oh, my God. That game. Because I'll never forget the trip up for us, too, for that game specifically was a mess. Like, we got there. We got to the field at, like, I don't know, like, 10 o'clock at night. We were all exhausted. But our coach still wanted to get it. Like, Christian still wanted to get a training session in. Mm -hmm. Um, So, we ran, like, a 20-minute session at, like, 1030 at night. and before going to the before going to uh, the hotel it was it was terrible but um you you ended up winning uh the conference rookie of the year you were also named to the all-conference second team all-rookie team and you guys won the regular season title that year I mean what did you have any major realizations about college soccer that year Was there something that you expected that you that happened or something that didn't happen that you expected to happen
1: I mean, yeah. I, overall, I just felt super comfortable at Stony Brook, right? It was just a, a great team. I remember it was I was welcoming right away. Um, we just had a great chemistry from the start, and um, what I remembered was distinctively the first couple weeks. I felt like the the confidence of the guys were not really where I thought it needed to be to to win something, um, because you know where I come where I came from um you were if you were playing for the highest level in your region like just the fact that you were there gave you enough reason to be confident in what you're doing to kind exactly. of like you know head up chest high and that was really important you know how you behaved off court off the field and on the especially on the field you know you can be the nicest guy but once you're on the field you have to be confident you have to display that at least right here in the US it was more like uh, you know, the really confident kids and and the studs, so to speak, they go play American football or baseball, right? Back home, it's the studs go play soccer or hockey. So and and my, I wanted to make sure that the team understands that, hey, you guys are playing the greatest sport in the world. That anywhere except in the U.S. is just like number one by far. You know, uh, globally viewed, you, you guys are you guys are the superstars, and you guys should remember that you guys play something that. That is that is really really big. So behave that way, you know. In every game, you should display that confidence. And and the team took that really well. We had we had great guys there. Like I said, a great season. Um, the college game itself, it's a little different. You know, you can make uh, subs all the time, which allows for pressing nonstop. So you have to get used to that. Um, other than that, the level the level was not really. Uh, where I thought it would be, it was a little a little weaker at first. But the thing is with, with level of play, you adapt to everything. If you go play to with a better team, it takes you some time, but you'll adapt to that level. The same goes for the other direction. Like at the end of, at the end of the, the year, I thought like, oh, it's a good level, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just because I got it's, I adapted to it because I, I vividly remember playing at higher, higher levels back home. But, you know, once you're in it long enough, that becomes your standard. And um, that's your, you know, that's your level you'll adapt to. But other than that, it was a great season. And But for me, it was always clear that, you know, I, I loved everything there. I loved every second on, on Long Island, but I knew I wanted to go play in one of the biggest conferences.
0: Yeah, and that perfectly leads into my next question, because you then made the decision to transfer for the first time uh, to the ACC and head to Syracuse, uh, playing in 20 games. Uh, before transferring a second time and coming back to America East, and playing for you know, in my opinion, the best school in the world, Mile mater, wearing my ever sacred number one jersey at UMass Lowell. Um, but before we, I mean, before we move on from the like, talk me through both of those decisions to transfer.
1: I did wear your number one jersey, right? That's cool. You did. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Yeah, did I did I um, uh, honor it? You wore it well. I will I'll, I'll, I will see you I that you wore that. it very well. You looked, looked good.
1: good. Cool, cool. No, uh, Syracuse. Syracuse was was uh different. Definitely, I had a lot of good and a lot of bad experiences there as well. Um, I'm gonna focus on the good. You know, we've played. I played 20 games or something. Uh, we made the second round of the ACC tournament. Uh, no, the NCAA tournament actually. In my first se- season there, uh, we had a penalty shootout against UNC in the ACC tournament where I saved uh, an important PK to win that. And, you know, it was great. Like it was exactly what I, what I wanted. It was a big platform. Every game was there. I got invited to Philly union after the first season and, you know, it was, it was really, really great. And then the second season started off uh, with COVID and then COVID kind of like let us play a couple games in this, the ACC was one of the only conferences that were still playing a couple games that were not important. And I wasn't really pl- I wasn't playing all of a sudden anymore, and then it turned out to be a little bit of a pol- political decision because they wanted to allocate some money. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna keep looking elsewhere. And uh, at the end of the day, Lowell was the choice. One of, was the choice. I was talking to a lot of people, but Lowell made academically the most sense because they were the most supportive. Um, I was about to transfer in about eighty six credits. Um, and I would have lost a lot of them anywhere else except at Lowell. Plus, you know, I had a good talk with uh, the, the coaching staff, and I felt like they were really supportive. And uh, so that was that was that decision. And gotta tell you, Lowell was Lowell was a really good end to, to college. You can uh, you can probably remember.
0: I remember it very well. Um, and it, yeah, it was it was just. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on and on about the. The, my wonderful experience at Lowell. But we're here to talk about you. Um, and something that you and I can both understand is, you know, the kind of stigmas and stereotypes that surround us as goalkeepers. What is one that, that bugs you the most? Or maybe what's just what, what's one that just comes to mind that makes you you feel that you need to, to disprove that stereotype?
1: Well, I mean, what are stereotypes? Uh, they were probably a bit crazy, right? But – they tell us that all the time, whereas I'm thinking like, no, you guys are nuts. Like, <laughs> I would if if I would play two games in, in the field, I would just headlessly run around and just tear an ACL like in the second game. No, like immediately. Uh, I don't know, man. It's as a goalie, there's there's a lot of stereotypes, but it's just it's just about having your own family as as a goalkeeper union. It's like you have this strange bond where you kind of see each other as, as um, opponents, but also, like, as the only one that really understands what you're going through. Um, and I've always valued that. Like, that was that was a big lesson throughout my career is that it serves you no good if you're trying to um, talk bad about your uh, goalkeeping friends in your own team uh, or if you try to, you know – do a little bit behind their back or try to not be supportive like it serves you no good like it, the only thing that does is it distracts you from focusing on yourself so i've always found that the more i am supportive to my colleagues on the field goalkeeper and colleagues the better i was off myself because most of the time the support i emulated just came right back at me um and, you know, I, I saw it often, from especially from young keepers that immediately see everything as a, as, a, as a fight for a spot, you know. And I was fighting for spots my whole life. So wherever you go, you're not going to get a spot for free. But as long as you just kind of cherish uh, a good environment in
0: the goalkeeping community, that will only do you well. I couldn't agree more. It's so important to get along with your goalkeeping partners, and that's just only going to help you grow, not only as a goalkeeper, but as a person. And... Another thing that I, I love to talk about and another thing that gets overlooked is, is our mental health as goalkeepers. I mean, we, you know, we, get, we put an insane amount of pressure on ourselves. We, we carry a burden of responsibility to be perfect for our team. It can take a toll. I mean, what are your best strategies for handling those types of situations or overcoming those dark periods of, of training your games or wherever it may be?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I first got across that topic when uh, a famous German goalkeeper, um, uh, his name was Robert Enke. I don't know if you've heard of him. I do, yeah. He played for Hanover, and he uh, killed himself pretty much out of nowhere. And then people kind of started talking about what he was going through with the pressure in, in Bundesliga that he was experiencing on a weekend basis. Um, that's where it first came, came to me, but... To be honest, the number one strategy that I would deploy is to have, like, again, to have the right people around you. Even if it just means to be able to go to a teammate that you really trust after a game and just be like, hey, look, tell me, like, did I play like shit today? Like, what do you think the team thinks of me? You know, like all those questions that you keep asking yourself as a goalie on and on. Like, how's my status in the team? Like, uh." what's going on what's the coach thinking you know like should i do this should i do that and have i also have i played well today like tell me like you know you can talk to yourself only so much because if you keep talking to yourself you just keep repeating stories that you want to hear for the good and for the bad you know you can also like talk yourself into the into misery but it's it's so important to just vent you know even if it means after a game just go out and get 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 insanely drunk but at least you talk to someone about about what you're feeling what you went through to the game because we all know after a game it's not just you go to bed and you you knock like you that the game keeps playing over and over in your head situations keep playing over and over in your head most of the time unfortunately the goals we can see it keep playing in our head so you got to talk you, you just got to let it vent to someone right you can't just sit there and 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 have your head spin and just just get out there and and,
0: and Go to someone you trust and talk about it. That's so true. I mean, a quote that I heard uh, pretty recently actually is, and it's something that I'm going to take into account in my life more and more often, is is it was just a phrase. It was, this too shall pass. You know, whether whether you think you're going through a terrible time, whether you are going through a terrible time, or whether you're going through the best of times, this too shall pass. Like it's, you are going to get through this regardless of what the situation is. If you're having, you know, the best season of your life, like don't forget that this is temporary and, and you will be coming back down to earth at some point. If you're at the lowest point in your career and you're not playing well or you're about to get cut, you know, this too, you know, you will get through this. This will this will be over soon. Um, so I think that was, that's a strategy that, not, that's something I wish I had known um, as, 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 as I was going through college soccer and even high school soccer. Um, but it's something that I think a lot of people and a lot of goalkeepers especially need to hear.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, what you're what you're saying is something I've tried. Um, to, you know, to tell yourself like you know this will go away, like you you'll feel better tomorrow. But even every time I told that to myself, it just it, you still felt a certain way, you know? Just yes. Because you were realizing it's gonna pass. It doesn't change the way you're feeling right now. Like you're still gonna feel shit for a couple hours. Sure. But what would what would really then help is you know you can keep that in mind, and then the next morning you usually hit training. Um, that was That was always the best therapy. The, the, the second best re- or um, tip I can give besides talking to someone is just the next day go out to practice and just sweat it out, just just get back into like a zone of practice and, and get the confidence back. And then the third best thing you can do is play another game.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Play another game and then you know if you have a great game, then the last game and how you felt the last week is just that's just gone, right? Obviously, if you play another shit game, you know, it's it's, it's even worse. But then you have a game the, the week after that's good, and then you're fine again. Like, you just got to learn to cherish the good moments as well. You know, you can't just always dwell on the bad ones. It's like uh, also a big lesson, I would say, is, is, is celebrate your wins. You know, and I'm not saying destroy your body after every home game, but, like, sit there and enjoy it and, you know, celebrate with the team in the locker and go home and, and – realize how it feels and you know that that's a good feeling because you're going to need to remember yourself how that felt when it's going a little worse one day right and uh that that's just one of two things that i've learned
0: it's it's perfect it's it's great advice um and i think i mean one of the one story that i, I always talk about um when i talk about my college soccer journey as a whole is is you know, even though I wasn't playing, I knew that I didn't want to transfer. I knew I didn't want to leave. I knew I loved the team and the school too much. Um, but why why made... was that?
1: Just because of your love for uh, for the team and for the school, or did you have connections there, or what was it? The people
0: I loved the team very, very much. We were very much a family, and I had become a part of it. And I loved. i had gotten comfortable with the school. Um, I loved the academic support staff in the athletics department. I thought they were incredible. I fell in love with the people and the atmosphere. And it just, it was the right fit for me. I knew that I didn't want to go anywhere. Even if it, even if it meant that, you know, I, I wasn't going to be in games. Like I, I knew that I would be able to help the team win uh, without even stepping on, on a playing field. I, I found, I figured out a way to work with that. Um, and that was, that went into my decision uh, to not transfer. Um, but you made, you know, made the decision for yourself that, you you that there was there was another opportunity that would be better for you, and I, I want to know what a piece of advice you'd give a younger college keeper who's hesitant about transferring, or even or even a younger high school goalkeeper who's not sure they're sold on the college they've committed to.
1: Yeah, um, well, it just it just has to be about um, being open with. Uh, with the people you talk to, uh, you have to understand the system. You have to understand the politics behind there, right? Like, uh, if you try to go somewhere as an American kid, especially, and you know they've just brought an international guy in, that's most likely going to be on a on a heavy scholarship. That also means that the coach has a certain has a certain contract with with the AD. You know that okay. Look, you've you took our money, one of our scholarships for this kid, so this kid better be playing. Right. And that's just that's just the the bottom line in college sometimes. Um, As soon as when it comes to transferring, look, you just got you just got to look at your situation and decide what makes you happy. Or another question you can ask, are you unhappy where you are? And if you're unhappy where you are and you're already away from home, like what can be what can get worse? Right, You can literally just take a chance and go somewhere else, because at the end of the day, my three transfers, I, I didn't look at it as like, oh man, I was unhappy here, I was unhappy there. I was actually really happy at Stony Brook before I left. But for me, it's just like, look, what a great what a great experience, man. I have the chance to come to the States, go to three colleges, and now I have a degree at the University of Massachusetts. And look, I've I have made friends everywhere I went and all those places. And that's something else you're gonna gain, right? If you're if you're a kid from from one place, you wanna leave, you're not happy, and then you get an offer from somewhere far away, man whatever makes you uncomfortable at first but kind of tells you in the gut that it's the right thing to do just go for it. Man.
0: Absolutely. And 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 for those listening to, to this episode specifically like take Christian's example and you can take my example like if if you're comfortable and you're happy with your situation and you like the school, the school is a, is a, is another massive part of your decision to play soccer at that school. Like you're not just there to play soccer, you're there you're a student there as well. Um, and if you're comfortable, you know, there's no shame in staying. And if you're not comfortable, you're not happy with your situation and you think there's a better opportunity, like make sure you focus on your mental health and what's best for you as, as a student and as a, and as a, as a, as an athlete. So both, both are perfect examples of what you can do in, in both types of situations. Absolutely. And Christian, I, I really appreciate you, you coming on the podcast today and I, I want to wish you the best of luck moving forward with your career. Thank you, Carter. It was a pleasure. Guys, this has been yet another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Thank you very much again to Christian Miesch for coming on. I have been your host, Carter Hockman. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps.